Welcome to The Age of Trust, a special podcast series brought to you by Verizon that explores how we are securing our future for the fourth industrial revolution, with knowledge becoming critical to Australia's international economic strength. This podcast series explores themes that challenge the productivity of knowledge workers with secure and reliable communications. We discover the explosion in remote working and connectivity and how organizations will need to manage, secure, protect and organize intangible assets such as systems, processes, IP, data, personal information, corporate information and even competitive knowledge. Get ready for the new age of trust by Verizon. Welcome to the Age of Trust podcast. Today we're talking about the 5G boost for big industry. Whilst 5G has often been discussed in terms of talking fridges and connected consumer devices, the reality is that 5G is about to make a huge impact on some of Australia's more traditional industries. Today we're talking to Adrian Beer. Adrian is the CEO of Metz Ignited, the mining, engineering, technology and services growth centre for the Australian Federal Government. We're also talking to Tony Harb. Tony is the Head of Solutions Architecture at ANZ for Verizon Business Group. Tony and Adrian are going to talk to us about what we can expect to see on the horizon as emerging and traditional industries come to terms with the reality of 5G and how it will continue to fast track the digital transformation that we'll see in the Australian industry. I'd like to start uh, Adrian Beer, Metz Ignited. Can you tell us what does METS mean? Yeah, sure. So METS stands for the Mining Equipment Technology and Services Sector. And METS Ignited is a government-funded, industry-led growth centre. And our role is to help expand and grow the Australian METS sector. So I'm going to come back to exactly what METS technologies look like because that's what we're keen to talk to a little bit today in terms of the intersection of those and 5G. Looking to you, Tony, tell me about your role and what you do with Verizon. Okay, so I head up the solution architecture practice and for Verizon Australia and really appreciate, Corey, you having me on board here today. So Verizon, many people know it as a large telco organisation or service provider organisation. It's about the 20th largest organisation in the world. And while it's large, it's a little bit more small, obviously, here in Australia. Um, we tend to offer uh, the telco or communication services. We have a big pedigree here also in offering the security services and as well as some of what I call the advanced communication services. As a business, I operate the architecture team, which really is about working closely with customers to understand their requirements, the business outcomes they're trying to achieve, and then try to translate that into a solution that can deliver on those outcomes. So we're talking about 5G today. During COVID, have 5G slowed down or has it sped up? How have the conversations changed around what you're speaking with your customers about in terms of that planning from a solutions perspective? Look, it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, um, we started the 2020 and everyone was talking about digital transformation and what that meant. 5G was a part of it, but um, you know, a lot of people sort of were dabbling with digital transformation, were in different areas of their digital transformation. COVID hit, and effectively, digital transformation was no longer about looking at new revenue streams or business efficiencies. It really became a matter of survival. Becoming digital really was critical to your survival as a business. So we saw effectively an acceleration of activities around that digital transformation. 
and hence discussions around 5G and so forth. What I will say as well is the interesting thing is what we've seen with our customers is that, and if I spoke to one customer the other day and he said, we've had to accelerate planning that we've had for like four years into six months as a result of COVID. So it's brought a lot of those projects that they thought they were going to you know, do in a couple of years' time really to the fore. And so where people weren't thinking about some of the new technologies like how would I integrate uh, or virtual reality or machine learning or 5G, it's really now become key to their planning for this year. So that's what we've seen as a result of the COVID impact. It's been very similar for us in the mining sector as an industry that was already well advanced in adopting remote technologies, implementing analytics, and obviously a large percentage of the mining industry is done in remote locations. Automation has been a focus for the industry for nearly 20 years. What we saw with COVID is that the last mile of automation has really been accelerated as mining companies that had partly implemented automation solutions then want to complete that process and roll out that same technology in their other operations. And the biggest opportunity for them in expanding their automation is networking connectivity. Without that, they're unable to achieve those outcomes. So it's a primary focus for the industry at the moment. A lot of conversation at the moment about sovereignty, and I think this has come up in a number of other episodes, sovereignty, capability, competitive advantage. I'd be keen to hear from both of you. Where are we seeing the bright spots in terms of capability? What role does technology play? Where's the low-hanging fruit, if you like, in terms of the next 12 months to really use technology to, to charge some of our traditional industries? Yeah, if I can uh, maybe kick off, Corey, from the... What we're seeing in the sector in the adoption of technology today, we are seeing this rapid desire to integrate multiple separate pieces of technology across the operating environment. And we are seeing a focus on interoperability. And as a sector, we have traditionally developed a lot of technology at the end user level. And so mining operators themselves have invested a lot of money in the research sector to develop technology to improve their operating environment and their production efficiency, their social license to operate and their sustainability. Now we are seeing that shift move to the technology sector to take the technologies that were developed in individual mining operations, productize and commercialize those technologies make them standard and interoperable and make them available for the rest of the market. And it's for that reason that we're seeing network connectivity, the access to cloud-based information, cloud-based systems, and the sharing of data between equipment is now the cornerstone of that acceleration of automation in our sector. And that's what you've seen, Tony, globally, but it's certainly the driver here. No, no absolutely. And look, uh, you know, as I said there, well, we've been waiting for 5G. I mean, 5G isn't actually new. It's, it's uh, you know, we've had 4G in, in the Australian market since about 2010. But actually, 5G as a development, it actually started in about 2008. And it really came on the back of the whole Internet of Things because early on, they realized that 3G and 4G technologies weren't going to be sufficient to deliver really the Internet of Things. And so 5G started. But in the same time, we've seen this... Uh, rapid rate of innovation in terms of other capabilities. And you talk to them and things about the AI, the integration, you know, that machine learning. We've got the software-defined everything, you know, the edge and the cloud compute. Now, each of those by themselves, they are transformative. More importantly, they're actually more disruptive. 
if you combine the lot together, they really can transform an environment. And that's what we're seeing now. It's more of those integration of, of those capabilities. And that really what we're seeing is people trying to get to that real-time enterprise where they can leverage all these capabilities to really make decisions quickly and be able to react very quickly. And we're seeing it in various industries. And I think Adrian talked about what we're seeing in the mining industry, but we're still starting to see in other industries. You know, healthcare is a, a good example. Where we're seeing, you know, where they're leveraging IoT and AI and these potentially the capabilities of 5G to do more things like, I would call it the robotic controlled surgery or the robotic controlled and remote analysis. And we're starting to see that. If you think about a place like Australia, which is a huge space, people distributed all over the place, you know, that sort of remote medical aspects is a very important thing for the future. And we've got the capabilities now that can make it happen. We're seeing it in manufacturing. Manufacturing, the factory floor is just starting to change as a result of being able to integrate all these capabilities in, into place. You know, and it goes beyond just looking at how you can help control costs and minimize downtime to really making that factory floor reconfigurable and, and even looking at how quality of assurance and QA and how that can be in, improved. And we've got a customer now who's integrated that level of IoT and AI and machine learning and cameras and so forth. And now their quality assurance is really done all automatically, there isn't a person involved that actually takes pictures of the circuit boards. And it takes pictures of the circuit boards and from that picture, it can determine whether there's a quality issue or not. So we're seeing those sort of technologies coming into industries like that. It's hard not to talk about smart cities. We're all talking about smart cities and that really is the convergence of all these technologies, whether it's about the autonomous vehicle and how it interacts with its environment, right through to traffic management and how we manage traffic in a real-time point of view rather than at the moment it's still very static or it's based upon someone having to do something manually from a traffic control center or so forth. So there's areas that we're really seeing that are starting to look at how they can adopt these capabilities and the integration of those capabilities because it's really moved from just integrating one to taking the lot and trying to leverage all of them. I think that um, comment about that convergence of technology is a real key. One of the demands on the technology vendors that have supported the mining industry for a long time is that these technologies are now being drawn across into other industry sectors from the experience of the industry. And the two things you mentioned, edge computing, which is particularly important because initially in the mining sector, when they first developed remote and autonomous operations, the network capability wasn't there. And as a result, a lot of the technology developed in the industry had a large amount of edge computing capability. So only necessary information was being sent as opposed to processing being done centrally or remotely. And then as network capability started to improve, bandwidth increased, cloud computing became more accessible. We started to see the orchestration of all of those different pieces of technology and that common platform of how to communicate became critically important. And from those lessons that we've learned in the mining industry, we now see defence, space, agriculture, oil and gas sector, medical sector, look to the lessons that have been learned from the mining industry in managing complex and large capital intensive assets in remote locations what are the lessons learned from trying to achieve those outcomes and how do we best integrate the technologies that have been developed? And that network and connectivity capability that we have today is really enabling that 
as you said, convergence of technology. I'm stealing that term from you. It's a, it's a good way to describe it. I was just going to say I'm interested in the profile of the people in these organisations that are driving the change. There's a burst of technologies. There's lots of opportunity. The lateral application of these technologies, learning from other industries. Tony, who are the people that you're seeing really understand what the potential looks like and that are driving change within the organisations? Yeah, it's interesting because um, organisations themselves are, having, are transforming internally and even their structure. I mean, one of the common things that you see nowadays is these chief transformation officers, for example. It didn't exist a couple of years ago, but uh, they've really been brought in into organisations because they're key to sort of try to look at how these technologies can be leveraged within their organizations. Now, this used to be the traditional domain of a person like a CIO and, and you know, his architects and so forth. But it's just because of the, the rate of innovation and the speed of things that are changing that they've had to start creating these little groups within their organizations to start looking at it. You start seeing people who are focused on customer experience within an organization. And they're the people looking at how they can even leverage all these capabilities to drive that customer experience that they want for their customers. So you're seeing it move from the traditional people who are driving technology or uh, let's call it those projects within an organization to these new functional groups, which are really looking at the different capabilities that are coming out now and seeing how they can best leverage them in their organization. And ultimately, I think the user experience, that's where a lot of we're finding people are focusing on. And that's where then it's people associated with the user experience who are driving a lot of these changes in their businesses. The, um, the last five years, what we've seen in the mining sector is that evolution from the chief information officer finally having a real influential role in executive decision making. And then we started to see the introduction of the chief digital officer and understanding the difference between digital capability of an organisation and then the information that provides the decision-making. And then most recently, that Chief Transformation Officer is becoming more prevalent because I think the concept of digital transformation has shifted from the digital piece to the transformation piece. And technologies have now digitised and digitalized information and made it available but it's the availability of that information and the decisions it enables that transforms organisations. And so that Chief Transformation Officer is now, I think, the maturing of digital transformation in organisations. It's the sum of the parts that are allowing organisations to make better operational decisions and technology and infrastructure and the networks that support it are becoming the, the cornerstone or the critical platform in which they make their decisions. And that's, that's uh, you know, digitization is a very important thing because, you know, you're, you're absolutely right, Adrian. You know, when people started thinking about digital, it was all about how I can make my data, uh, take it off paper, base services in, into a digital format. And that's what it was really about. How do I make my processes and procedures just more digital so I have my data available in a different form? And that's where a lot of the effort was initially based from. But now it's exactly what you're saying. It's about that transformation. How do I use that data? Not just the data that I'm collecting, but data that I can get from elsewhere. How do I integrate that into my decision making? Or how do I integrate that into where I look to operate? That's the big part of that transformation piece that's going on. And it's been underpinned by, you know, as you said, having a, a strong network foundation is critical to that. Uh, while we talk about all these other technologies, if you don't have a strong network, 
And COVID really showed us the importance of network, I think. People realised that uh, for a long time, you know, sort of the network was the forgotten piece, but COVID really showed us you, you really need a strong, highly performing, capable network to be able to access both your services, your data, as well as your customers in a way that you've never accessed them before. So it underpins everything that delivers on top of that transformation you're trying to drive. It's interesting when you think about the evolution of cloud-based software and applications that take information and do something with it because it's also, as part of that transformation, made that network such a critical part of the infrastructure environment for any operator, whether they're in mining or resources or primary industry or, or smart cities, back to your other example. Because once upon a time, it was just a connection to share information for remote decisions being made somewhere else. What we've seen, particularly in the COVID climate, is network connectivity being the tool to deploy new processes, new systems and new technologies into remote locations. So rather than just being a connection point where information flows, it's actually become the tool used to transform processes in real time and as a consequence, back to the discussion about transformation, we now see organisations thinking, are we going to centrally control this or remote control this? How are we going to build the interface between central and remote decision making? How much of our decisions need to be operational versus system based? And so that entire framework, uh, the lens at which people are looking at their organisation has fundamentally changed. just wanted to ask Adrian Erdy, the Erdy test lab, if I've got that right. But that's that's quite interesting in the in the discussion that we're having here. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yes. So Erdy Test Lab is a facility that has been established in Western Australia in partnership with the University of Western Australia. And it's uh, Erdy stands for Energy and Resources Digital Interoperability, which just rolls off the tongue. The reason we've established this facility is it's trying to ensure that technology vendors use standards standards in the way that they share information. So as we connect multiple devices on a network, information can flow between those devices. So the first steps in automation and analytics were often done as bespoke pieces of technology, each processing information in their own unique way and therefore not being able to share information between different operating systems. And so what Erdi is focused on is creating a test lab environment where vendors can bring their technology and make sure that the information that technology needs and the output that technology provides readily communicates on an open platform with other equipment in the operating environment. So it's really the orchestration layer of information management it's built on global standards and it's actually part of the international network of communication standards across the energy sector, resources sector, mining and oil and gas. Tony, how much of the work you're doing with customers, how much of it is just getting some of that interoperability housekeeping in order, like the, the walk before you run type discussion? Yeah, I would say, like I said, they've probably got to a point where they've moved beyond, you know, they're moving into that run phase in terms of trying now to move beyond where they were probably six months ago, just from a digitization point of view. What we're seeing now is really about, and uh, Adrian talked to her, it's about the level of automation and orchestration that they can really adopt. And, and uh, you know, we spent a lot of time in Verizon actually working on that as a key pillar within 
what we're seeing our customers want to do. You know, leveraging open APIs, leveraging the uh, the open stack systems. We've incorporated that into our solutions because, as Adrian said, it's that interoperability and interconnectivity that they want to be able to leverage, which is important now, more than just the, I would call, the static environments that they were used to in the past. And so we're seeing a, a lot of work happening in that space. The other space we're seeing with, with customers is, um, you know, I would say that if you think about what's happening, we're seeing a lot more things delivered, for example, over the internet and delivered out of cloud services. So what our customers are seeing is that they're handing over control to environments that they don't control. So what they don't have is they don't have visibility. And so what they're asking us to work with them is how can they improve that visibility? How can they see that across end-to-end what's happening with either their data or how their users are using their environments? And so we're seeing a lot of that work going on at the moment in terms of trying to to be able to help them with that visibility, because that visibility is also key to decision-making that they need to make, whether it's a manual decision-making or, as Adrian was talking about, an automated decision-making. So you can't make a decision if you can't see something. And so that's what we're now starting to see. Now, at the same time, you know, we're seeing a lot of them still trying to work on the foundations of that network. So if we talked about software-defined networking, and not everyone is software-defined yet, and that's a key pillar of being able to work in this new real-time enterprise. So that's where we're seeing also a lot of time people are investing is looking at that software-defined networking, how to incorporate it into their environment, and how to leverage it. But even that's changing because you know, a couple of years ago, software-defined networking was pretty much software-defined way, and it was static. Now they want virtualized services. And the reason they want virtualized services is it allows them to, to adopt, I'll call it like an agile method that they've adopted with cloud, which is being able to turn up and turn down services where and when they need them, wherever they go. And so that's the other area that we're seeing people spending a lot of time in, is working on those virtualized services and how they incorporate them into their environment. We've heard a lot of discussion about cybersecurity. Of course, that's sort of a cornerstone of Verizon's strategy and capabilities. And we've also heard about smart cities, health, the met sector, really important kind of areas of our industry and government. What's the role of cyber right now and how important is it when we're talking about some of these sectors and how they continue to evolve? Look, I'll start with that. So security, we've seen the recent announcements from the government around you know, cyber security and the cyber security threat. And there's no doubt that uh, as we take on new technologies, including 5G, that expands the threat landscape by increasing just even the number of intrusions. If we think about what 5G is going to enable us to do, it's going to enable us to have more of these connected endpoints, these connected devices. Now, when we look at 4G, for example, in any square kilometer, you could have a thousand connected devices. With 5G, it's up to a million connected devices. So if you think about that, it's an exponential rate of increase in terms of that intrusion points that are now available to that, that threat domain. We're seeing these cyber attacks increasing. And so we do need to adopt a more strategic approach when it comes to security. But it doesn't mean we forgo what we've been doing today. It's important to realize that it's really, once again, it's just another evolution. When working with customers, we focus on themes aligned with the NIST framework, which is really around identifying, protecting, detecting, and responding. Leveraging 5G just means that you have to adopt a more comprehensive end approach to security strategy. And this includes things like complete visibility and inspection and controls that are applied across all layers of the network, including the apps, including signaling, and right down into the data planes. You need to have those cloud-based threat analytics combined with your big data analysis and your machine learning algorithms. It's got to be across the different, you know, both mobile and fixed networks. And this will really allow you to do that swift response to both known 
and unknown threats, but it's got to be done in real time. That's the reality of it. Sorry, Tony, I was going to just weigh in there because I think you just hit the nail on the head with regards to what 5G enables, and that's responsiveness and visibility, ability to react, monitor, control, and maintain protection on a network. What we saw in the mining industry when people started moving from fixed remote assets to connected assets on a network, initially the fear of cyber threat stopped people putting critical assets on a network because they believed they made them vulnerable. But in fact, by leaving them off the network and unmonitored and unprotected, that was actually the source of weakness and threat from a cyber risk. And so by adding devices onto a network and having a security strategy to support the protection of that network actually improved the quality of the security of infrastructure and assets to the point that it became easier to protect a connected network than it did to have a remote network with some devices that connected remotely to an internet service provider, for example. And so one of the fantastic benefits that 5G brings to the industry is far greater ability to rapidly respond with far more visibility of all of the equipment on the network in real time. So I think Tony's point there is really critical for people to understand that the more powerful the network, the greater visibility and the easier it is to respond in real time to threats as they happen. So if we look back to 2013, 2014 in the Ukraine, there was a cyber attack on their power distribution network and a actor hacked the network and started turning off distribution equipment while the operator was watching it happen and could do nothing about it. They didn't have the protection and their systems weren't fast enough to react to those types of threats. Today, a 5G network would enable you to have visibility real time to shut down those attacks and to respond as long as you've got the strategy and the security practices in place to support your network infrastructure. Yep. And look at 5G in itself, it will evolve and, and mature in terms of security becoming stronger. You know, we'll see added encryption, we'll see zero trust models, we'll see identity access management changing. We'll also see additional defense at the edge of the network with technologies such as network function virtualization or the uh, mobile edge compute. You know, even network slicing introduces a level of security that isn't there with traditional uh, radio access networks today. So it's both looking at what we do today well and then building upon it. So I just want people to realize it's not about forgetting what we've done today. You know, 5G doesn't mean all of a sudden we, it's a forklift upgrade and we throw everything out that we've done today. It is an evolution as well. We're almost out of time. Just to wrap up today, I wanted to get a sense from both of you. What is exciting on the horizon? What are the opportunities? We've had a big reset moment. We've got a lot to work with. What's the exciting stuff for both of you in the next six to 12 months? When I look at the industries, the various industries, I think uh, what's exciting is the ability for every industry to tap into what's happening now in terms of that fourth industrial revolution. We talked about it for so long that it was coming. We're now seeing it happen. We're seeing it manifesting itself on the ground. And COVID, as I said, has accelerated that. And so it's to the point now where we stopped talking about it and started enabling it in almost every single industry that they can think of. Even if you think about education, look at what we've had to do with education just over the last couple of months of COVID 
This may also become the norm for us in the way that education is done in the future. And it's leveraging the capabilities that new technologies are being able to adopt. And so watching that manifest itself in almost every single industry, as a person who works in the technology space, that is exciting for me. The other interesting thing is in watching our governments also have to keep pace and adopt that, whether it comes to the way we do our cities, to the way they operate within each of their departments and their agencies, I think is also exciting because they've realised that COVID has driven also the need for them to be more modern, and modern means to be digitised. Digitised means to be part of the fourth industrial revolution. Yeah, that's um, a really key point, Tony. I think when Metz Ignited did a report in 2018 to help industry and the government understand the transformation that happens as a result of automation in technology. And we highlighted in that report three areas around automation maturity. The present time, 2018, where individual devices have been enabled and networked, but the interoperability wasn't there. And then we forecast it by 2025, really seeing connected digitized pieces of equipment in a standard platform with the network capability to enable that to happen. And 2030, really seeing the integrated value chain as the future direction of industry. Your point about COVID is so true because the 2025 timeline that we forecast in that report is happening today. COVID has brought that forward because people now understand how critical it is to get their networks connected and interconnected to get their security robust. The types of activities that can be delivered today remotely and the type of skills you need to support that capability, plus the future skills that your organisations will need to be able to achieve those outcomes. So we're now seeing this rapid acceleration, adoption of technology, embracing these new technologies, and then thinking about what the future organisational model looks like, including what skills do I need for the future, what training do my staff need today? Because we actually saw an increase in jobs. One of the other interesting parts about the conversation is network device and automation is people think it's going to eliminate positions from industry. We actually found quite the opposite. It increases the number of roles and not only does it increase it, it actually provides significant opportunities in some of our regional and remote centres that haven't had the ability to access some of the network and infrastructure that the big cities have had. And so certainly from the Alpha Beta report that we did in 2018, that's on our website, we see the 2025 outcomes that were forecast from that report being rapidly accelerated as a response to the COVID pandemic. So it's a great opportunity for technology to be adopted and embraced. And Adrian, you talked about technology and you're absolutely right about the other two points, which are really about for any transformation, it's not just about the technologies or solutions, it's also about people and processes. And you talk greatly to the fact that from a people point of view, we're looking at new skills and looking at how we'd have to retrain our people that we've got looking at potentially what skills we hire into our organisation or the people, what skills they have to come with now when we're looking for new people in our organisation. And then naturally, processes are a big part of it. How we operate is changing and the organisations are really looking at even that aspect of it and they have to if they really want to adopt the full benefits of what's coming through. So process and then operating models, how they're operating today. I mean, we've seen COVID driving a lot of the changes in how organisations are operating today. That's just going to continue over the next 12 months. I'd just like to say thank you to both of you. Adrian Beer, CEO of Metz Ignited, Tony Harb, Head of Solutions Architects at Verizon Business Group. Thank you for a great discussion today. There's a lot to look forward to and uh, look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you very much, Corey. Thank you. Thank you, Corey. Thank you, Adrian. 
We hope you enjoyed this special Verizon Age of Trust podcast. For more, keep tuning in to Innovation Oz podcast or go to verizon.com.